How do you train a person to do something that doesn't come natural? How do you train a person to do something that doesn't come natural? If you're a parent, a parent, you know what it's like. There's so many different things to train a child to do that doesn't come natural. If you're in any kind of responsibility at work, there's, there's people that you have to train to do something that they've never done before. What do you do? Do we use like levers, like inducement? Well, may, if, if you do this, then I'll give you this reward. If you do this, then our company will get to this point. If you, child, if you do this and you potty train, I'll give you extra. We also can use things like Is my microphone still fading in and out? Try and manipulate them in that situation. And I think we all know there's, it's so easy so often to use shame and threats and guilt to manipulate a person that doesn't naturally want to do something to do that. So in this series, we're talking about what it means to adorn the gospel, to adorn the good news of Jesus. That if we're called to live lives that make the good news of Jesus attractive, and we're called to, to live that out. We're talking about doing something that's not natural. And so how do we train ourselves? How do we train one another? How does God train his people to live lives that make the gospel attractive the way a, a diamond in its setting can look better or worse? What kinds, does God use shame and guilt and embarrassment and I can't believe you haven't done better? Does God use, like, just, well, if you do this, then I will reward you. You can become a part of my family. You can be part of the kingdom if you do this list of rules. How does God train people to adorn the good news of Jesus? How are we called to train ourselves and train one another? We're going to be looking today at Titus chapter 2, probably the most beautiful chapter in the Bible. You know I say that about just about every chapter, but Titus 2 is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible because it talks about what does it mean to adorn the good news of Jesus and how does God create a people that do that? So go ahead and turn with me to Ch Titus chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, go ahead and turn. You can grab a Bible from the seat in front of you. We're going to have some of these verses on the screen so you can follow along. Titus chapter 2. What does it mean to adorn the good news of Jesus? How do we grow in our ability to make the good news of Jesus attractive? This is what we find. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. 
Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Let's pray. God, we want to hear from you in your word today. We don't want to just hear the ideas of men or we don't want to just hear encouraging talk. We want to hear from you how you create a people that adorn the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage today is going to show us and is going to call us to adorn the gospel, the good news of Jesus, by being transformed by his good news. Not to just hear it, but to be transformed by his good news. And what I want to show you in in this chapter is three steps to transformation. Three steps to transformation. The first step we see in in, uh, verses 2 through 10 is to set our hearts on adorning the good news. Set our hearts on adorning the good news. What he does is he runs through a list and says, Titus, if you haven't been here before, Titus is a young pastor, Paul's kind of most gifted and talented guy, and he sends him into troubled situations, and he sends him to this island where the people are living out of control, and he says, set this church in order. Set up a church that makes the good news attractive to the entire island. And then he says here, elders, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, Slaves, I prefer the word servant because some of the differences between American slavery and slavery here in the Bible. But this, right here, he's calling them first to set their hearts on adorning the good news. And then he's, he begins to say, this is what it looks like in your station of life, older men. Older men being temperate, under control, self-controlled, worthy of respect, sound in faith and love and endurance is what it means for an older man to adorn the good news of Jesus. Each one of these things that that he lays out and says, call them to this thing, means that the temptation and the natural thing is to not do those things. To be an older man that's not temperate, that is not worthy of respect, but demands the respect. Not somebody who's self-controlled. Neither sound in faith, in love, or in endurance. Then he turns to the older women. and He says, older women, this is what it looks like in your old age to make the good news of Jesus attractive. It means don't be a slanderer. It's the, it's the name of the devil, and it's this great temptation to an older woman to use words in the same way that Satan uses words, to tear down and to accuse. And he says, don't, don't be slanderers. Be reverent in the way that you live. It's the same word that he called the older men. Be, be temperate. He says, be reverent in the way that you live, older women. Same thing. Don't be addicted to much wine, but teach what is good. The temptation is to teach other things, older women. And so, adorning the gospel... Setting your heart on that means saying, I want to actually teach what is good, not an old wives' tale that I heard and I grew up with. I actually want to teach the truth and what's good. Then he turns to younger women and says that they need to learn to love their husbands and children. It's not natural for a young woman to love her her husband and children. And so he says they, they need encouragement and instruction in what that means. Again, young women, self-controlled, same command to older men and older women. 
be pure, busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that nobody's going to malign the word of God. This passage, this whole letter is about adorning the good news of Jesus and the way a younger woman lives in her home and the way an older woman lives in her home and in her community and the way an older man lives can, can set the word of God up and make it attractive. Then he turns to young men and says, again, encourage them to be self-controlled. The temptation of every person in every age is to be out of control, following their urges and desires. And so he says, young men, set an example by doing what is good. Let your teaching and your integrity and your seriousness and the soundness of your speech be such that it cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about it. Again, living lives that... Like a jeweler can set a diamond ring in a special way that makes it glint in the light. Young men, can you live the kind of lives that make the good news of Jesus attractive, not yourself attractive? Then he turns to slaves or servants. One of the differences between slavery in the Bible and slavery in American history was their slavery was not race-based. Still didn't have many rights, if any rights at all. But I prefer the word servant because there, there are some differences in that. But he says servants. If, if you're going to be in the church, it's going to mean that you have to live differently than all of the rest of them. That means that you're not going to be able to steal from your employer like a normal servant's going to steal. That means you're not going to talk back to, your, to the, the owner or your boss in the same way that others are going to speak to their bosses. And so he calls to servants. And that's, this, is, this, is the, this is the money verse, verse 10, to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So even a servant, even a slave with few rights can live in such a way that they make the gospel attractive. This, one of the common themes for each of these commands is to be self-controlled and temperate. And so this is what living lives that adorn the good news of Jesus looks like. And if we are going to train to adorn the gospel, the gospel of Jesus then we have to set our hearts on it. So often we can look at the law, we can look at standards like this, and we can lower it and say, well, I'm better than the person next to me. And instead, the call in the law, the call in the Ten Commandments, the call in the Sermon on the Mount, the call in this list is for us to raise the standard and realize that God's standard for me is higher than my standard for me. That God's standard for me is higher than my wife's standard for me. That God's standard for me is higher than my parents' standard for me. And we cannot adorn the good news of Jesus if we just lower it and say, oh, it's just not that big of a deal. We instead have to have hearts that are set on, can I make this attractive? I've mentioned a couple of times the, a jeweler setting a ring. If you've been searching for an engagement ring at all, you see that there's just tons and tons of rings. And they have all different kinds of diamonds. And now one of the trends is that you can design your own wedding ring, which I always thought was a bad idea because I'm not very good at designing anything. And something that my wife is going to hopefully wear for 50 years sounds like a horrible idea. Like what we should actually be after is some master jeweler who says, this is a great diamond. Let me make it even better. And that's what the call in this is, is older men, can you live in such a way that you make this beautiful gospel radiate even farther and faster? Can, older women, can you live in such a way that young women go, oh, that's what it means to, to live out and love the gospel of God? Young women, young men, can you live in such a way that like a beautiful jeweler makes a diamond more attractive, your life makes the gospel that is already beautiful radiate farther? 
And so if we're going to adorn the good news of Jesus, train to adorn the good news of Jesus more and more, then we have to set our hearts on this standard and not lower it and say, oh, this is good enough. Well, I designed it myself. Don't you like it? No, God's standard for us is higher than our standard for us. And so that gets us to the point. And if we stopped the sermon at that, this verse, then we could be left going, oh, I wanted to reach this standard And so let me figure out a way to do that. We begin to go, oh, this is what it would mean for me to adorn. Maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe I should do this pattern to try and be more self-controlled. Maybe if I constrain myself in this way, then I can be more self-controlled. Maybe if I just get more people in my life keeping me accountable, then I will somehow reach God's standard. And if we do that, we've missed it. We haven't understood this passage if we stop in verse 10 because verse 11 tells us that we must see the life-altering power in the good news. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to set our eyes and see the life-altering power in the good news because we so often go, okay, here's the standard, and then we use shame and guilt to get us there. We use, with our kids, we begin to go, hey, let me embarrass you enough that you won't behave this way anymore. We begin to use power to crush and control somebody or to cr- power to crush and control ourselves trying to meet God's standard. And verse 11 through 13 says, no, It's not for shame has appeared in the world, for guilt has appeared in the world, not for power has appeared in the world. It's the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You see, and it's not grace that's just an example. Oh, look, God's grace is really nice, and so this is our example. No, it's God's grace has come, bringing salvation. The life-altering power of the good news is what actually trains us for righteousness. That verse, verse 12, it teaches... It trains us to say, to deny ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. That's the word that he keeps saying, live self-controlled lives. Older men, be self-controlled. Women, be self-controlled. Younger men, be self-controlled. Here he says, what is it that trains us to be self-controlled, upright, and godly? It's the grace of God bringing salvation. The good news has a life-altering power that can train us to do something that guilt and shame can never do. Guilt and shame and power and control and trying harder is never going to teach me to deny ungodliness, to deny the things that I want to do, the selfishness, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the selfishness and out of control. I will never learn to deny it unless I find the grace of God bringing salvation. I'm never going to live a life of self-controlled, upright, and godly if I don't have the grace of God coming in and changing me from the inside out. I will never wait For the blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, unless the grace of God appears, changing me from the inside out. This passage says it's grace, not shame, not guilt, not law, that trains us to adorn the good news of Jesus. And so if you're an older man looking at this standard and saying, I do not meet it, this passage says that you need the grace of God that brings salvation so that you can adorn the gospel. It's not on your own. It's not in your own power. It's the grace of God that's going to do it. If you're an older woman... And you realize that your tongue is a slanderous tongue like the the tongue of the Satan. The thing that trains us 
is actually the grace of God, not trying harder. If you're a young man struggling with self-control, it's the grace of God that trains us for righteousness, for godly lives, to adorn the good news of Jesus. And so what we have to do is see that it is the good news that has this life-altering power. I know I've told many of you, my old pastor in Illinois would always say, grace works, but guilt works faster. And so we often with our kids say, yeah, I mean, I could use grace to try and train them, but shaming and using guilt works faster. And when I was studying that passage, I was looking at that, and I just said, this passage says no. No, it's not guilt that actually trains us. If it's guilt that's training us, it's training us for something else. It's training us for a different kind of life, for a different team. Grace works, and guilt doesn't work faster because guilt works on a whole different ball game. And so if you look at your own life, and you're a young woman, and you say, what does it mean for me to love my husband and children? The call in this passage is to actually look on Jesus in the gospel and see that he has a life-giving power to help you love a husband in a way that you wouldn't naturally do. It's not a strategy. It's better than a strategy. If you're a young man struggling with self-control, struggling with living the kind of life that makes the gospel attractive, this passage says, look on Jesus in the gospel. This passage says your biggest problem is actually that you've not been converted. The grace of God has not brought salvation that wells up within you, bringing you new life. And that's where we get to verse 14. Verse 14 tells us this third step in transformation is receive all you need to adorn the good news. Receive all that you need to adorn the good news. Verse 14 says, who? Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This passage has called us to say, God's standard is higher than my standard. The gospel has a life-altering power. And then in verse 14, he says, he gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for his good works, to instill in us a zeal to do what is good. You see, this passage points us to the fact that when God wants to train people, when he wants to form a new people, what he does is he comes and he does it up close. John Frame points that out, that when God wants to redeem a people, he does it up close. And here in this passage, he's, he says that God doesn't just give grace and this message from afar. Instead, he actually gives himself for us. He gave himself for us. These three elements in here are to redeem us from all lawlessness. Not to just say, hey, here's the standard, do better. It's actually, here's the standard, you've not met it. I'm actually going to buy you back from your bondage to never meeting the standard. I'm going to buy you back from this bondage that you can never do on your own. I'm going to redeem you for myself. Then he says, to purify a people for his own possession. Your translation might say, a people of his very own. I'm reminded, six years ago today, Jake was a year old in... Um, he actually was about to go into the NICU for eight days, but that day they still were able to bring him to the hospital room so Micah and Ellie could see him. And Ellie's three, Micah's two, and they bring the baby in, and then the nurse comes in, and Ellie says, this is Jacob, and he's ours. This is Jacob. He's ours. This passage says that Jesus gives himself for you because he wants to say, this is Lisa. She's mine. This is Bill. He's mine. This is Sammy. She's mine. 
He gives himself for us to purify for himself a people of his very own. So in this passage, we have to personalize and realize we can receive from him this personal relationship that he wants for us. Instead of just saying, I don't know who I am, I don't know where I belong, I don't know what I do. No, this passage says he gave himself for you because he wants you to be his very own. And then in the middle of that, he comes in with giving us a zeal, a power on the inside to be zealous for good works. Kids, that means to be eager, to want to do the right thing. Not to just do it because I'm supposed to, but this is what I want to do. This passage tells us that our biggest problem is that we need Jesus to come and change us from the inside out. And when he does, we can shine like a diamond, making the gospel more and more attractive. The power that you need is a person. And he gave himself for you. Does this sound different than we would hear in the world? Does this sound different than we would hear in the world? Somebody says, oh, you want to be better? Well, here's the list. Here's the things that you should do. God will not love you until you've done all of these things. This passage says he gives himself for you to redeem you, to purify you, and to instill in the, on the inside a desire, a deep desire to do what is good. About 10 years ago, my uncle, we were sitting on a patio, and my uncle was telling me a story about training dogs. Because he'd trained dogs just about his whole life. He was a hunter, still I think is a hunter, and he uh, was just telling me about for the first time, he was training a shepherd dog that would shepherd, um, I don't remember if it was cows or sheep, but this is Oklahoma, so it's probably cows. Uh, but so he was training for the first time a shepherd dog, but he'd trained many dogs over the years. And I said, what have you learned about training dogs over the years? And he said, I have a lot of regret because early on, the way that we would train dogs is we would just beat them into submission. You just correct a dog and then you'd, if it would do so what you don't want, you'd, you'd hit it. And you just correct the dog, and it was just, does the wrong thing, and you hit it. That it does the right thing, and it doesn't get hit. And so eventually it learns. And he says, what I realized is that we ruined every dog except for the very best. We ruined all of them. There were so many dogs that could have done something, but instead, the only ones that could survive that kind of training were the ones that were so absolutely good, they were unruinable. He said, what I've learned since then is that if we actually work with the desires of the dog, using praise and it wanting to please us and wanting to work with us, then almost any dog can be trained for something. Any dog can be trained to hunt. Any dog can be trained to shepherd because it wants to work with me. And he said, that's what I realized is now all those dogs that I'd ruined, we could have done it differently. We could have changed it because it worked with our desires. The reason I'm telling you this is not because oh, all of us have good desires on the inside, but all of us can that Jesus can come in redeeming and purifying and instilling in us a desire to do what is good. And so instead of training for righteousness, being shame and guilt, and let's beat them into submission, instead it begins to be God giving himself for us, coming and living inside of us so that we have a des deep desire to shine in the world and say, this is the good news. This is what it looks like. It's not shame and it's not guilt. It instead is change on the inside. So do you want to adorn the gospel? Do you look at this list and say, God, I want this? This passage says you can receive all that you need to adorn the good news of Jesus. You can receive it. It comes from union with Christ. It comes from, it comes from what we call conversion, not from trying harder. It's actually receiving from Jesus a redemption on the outside. It produces transformation on the inside. And then it produces adorning on the outside. So you look at this. And you look at this first list, 
Set your hearts on adorning the good news. This passage, if you're like me, condemns us. I'm not. I'm not as self-controlled. I'm not as upright. I'm not as noble as this passage is calling young men to be. If you're an older man and you say, this does not define my life, nobody would give me a passing grade. If you're a young woman and you go, there's so much of this that is a condemnation, welcome to the club. We don't read the law of God right as long as we feel comforted by it. But instead, if you feel crushed by this law, welcome to the club. Because this passage also says that it is his grace that sets us free from being condemned by the law. Just to be totally clear, the story of the Bible up until now, up until this point, is that God made the world and he made it good and that every person in it is responsible to him. But Adam and Eve and every person after them said, no, we will not live your way. We will not listen to you. We are going to set up our own kingdoms. We're going to live our own way. And so the Bible says that God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of relationship with him, giving them spiritual and physical death. And with only a future to look forward to of separation from God. No other future to look forward to. But the Bible says that Jesus came, this passage points us there, lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, so that all who trust in Jesus, who repent of sin and say, God, I give up my own way of living, It's not going to change anything on my own, but I'm going to give up my own way of living and I will receive Jesus. I will take Jesus. I will trust in him. I will receive from him the righteousness that I need, the perfection that you've called me to. That those who repent of sin and trust in Christ in that way, they will be saved. They're the ones that are purified to be his own possession. Not purified so that one day they might become his possession, but that right now you can know and we can know we are God's own possession. And he's living in us to be zealous for good works. If you have questions about that, please come and grab me during the singing or after the service. This is too important. I preach this week after week, but whether you're young or old, a guest or somebody that's been here from the beginning, this is so important. You will never adorn the good news of Jesus until you've been transformed by his good news. And so the call to us is to be trained by grace, by salvation. And then we can adorn the good news. Then we become zealous for good works. And then we can begin to imagine, what does that look like? It begins to transform parenting. When parenting is no longer, how do I get kids that make me look the way that I want to look? And instead, we begin to say, God, can you use the grace you've given me to train my kids so that they can be transformed by it? God, can I use discipline in the life of my kids? as an occasion to point them to the life-changing power of the gospel, not the soul-crushing power of shame and guilt. Imagine what that looks like for a family to be transformed in that kind of way. Imagine what it looks like for a church to be transformed, and we don't say, get in line, do the things that we've told you to do, but instead we begin to say, what is God doing from the inside out in your life? We begin to be a church that shines brightly, not because we use power and shame and guilt and coercion to try and advance to some kind of goal, but instead to say, we as a community are putting the gospel on display in Belgium and in the North Shore region. And then imagine when Christians are known not for the list of rules they keep or don't keep, Imagine the day when Christians aren't known for how they vote or how they don't vote. Imagine the day coming when the Christians are known because their lives and the way that they speak and the way that they love 
set the gospel on display to a world that desperately needs to hear it, not more law. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that in Titus 2, you tell us you don't use shame and guilt to transform us, but you come as a person giving yourself for us to transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions about this, please come and don't hesitate to grab me. It's too important to wait. It's too important to just go, oh, I might think about it later. No, this is so critical to know we can be changed from the inside out and then put the gospel on display to the world. Please stand.